Hey, welcome to the Father Seekers Podcast. My name is Pastor Keith. Joining me as always on the Father Seekers Podcast is Pastor Barry Edgman, the CEO, co-founder, CFO, person that wrote the 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 patent for Father Seekers. Pastor Barry Edgman, how you hey. doing, man? Hey, good. So <clears throat> we don't usually date our podcast. We do, but, but we do every we do, week. We do every week. But every week we do. So this Saturday is the the college football game of the season, probably for the at least the next two or three years, unless these two teams repeat again. But Georgia plays Tennessee. Well, Tennessee plays Georgia at Georgia. Mm. Number one and number two team. Arch rivals. So... Little, little taste of what the playoffs could look like. A big taste of, yeah. So, and it, it would be awesome to see that. And I think, I think I'll be watching because I grew up. I grew up in a little place called Rossville, Georgia, and I'm a Georgia Bulldogs fan. But I like the the Volunteers too because I lived in both states, in and out, and yeah. worked in both. So it's like, yeah. So it's it's going to be a good weekend. Uh, yeah, is that the night game? Uh, three thirty. Three thirty. ABC. I think. I hope. I think so. so. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to be a wings day. I'm going to go off health plan, and I am eating wings. Well, I mean, wings are all right sometimes. Yeah. Well, do you like bone in or bone out? Oh, definitely bone. Really? Uh, definitely oh, yeah. bone. Yeah. Not even. Yeah. I I like bone out. So you get more meat, man. And so you can, I I like eating it with a fork. But there's an art to eating a chicken wing. There is. And you there, it, there and is. if you're yeah. really good yeah. at eating a chicken wing with bones, you can eat all of the meat off the bone without holding the chicken wing in your hand. If you're really good at it. Have you ever heard the terminology? No. Eat the meat, spit the bones. Well, out. I've heard that terminology, that's, but I, I don't know how to do it that's without a, hands. Bro, that's a southern term. You just put the chicken wing in your mouth. Get all the meat off of it and spit the bone out. Oh, it's an art form. Okay, yeah, or, truly I, art. I, I see that. But what do you do with the dip then? Like, well, you I, you I, dip it before. I mean, you saturate it with a lot of ranch. Yeah, ranch or, or well, depending on the sauce. But then get out of here. With I'm blue, a, you're going to say blue cheese? No, I'm a te- get out of here. I'm a Texas cheese. Pete guy. <laughs> <laughs> Texas Pete. All right, all right. So you put more, more, more hot sauce on your already. Yeah, or you could do you could do them uh, rubbed. You could do them rubbed and rubbed and naked. Yeah, which is no sauce, and then put mm-hmm. Texas Pete on it. Yeah, I can see that. What I what I like to do, um, it, I like that approach, but uh, peppery you know, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the rub, and mm-hmm. then dip the the wing sauce and the ranch, mm-hmm. like one two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm a bone out guy because I like to eat it with a fork because I like to get a lot of sauce on it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, the sauce is, it's, it's the second part of the goodness. Yeah. If it's good sauce, if it's not, then you're just wasting your time and money. It's like, eh, whatever. You ever watched how wing sauce is made? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not an, good for you. It's an art form. It's not good for you. <laughs> it's healthy. There's so much butter. <laughs> it's just butter and hot sauce. Yeah. <laughs> when I, when I first found out how that was made, I was watching a chef make it. Mm. I go, that's all it is? He goes, yeah. No wonder. It's just butter and hot sauce. No wonder. That's why you like it. <laughs> I'm like, but that is so much butter. He goes, yep. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So we are uh, week two of a of a series we started last week um, called The Power of Cadre. Mm. Uh, sum it up for me, sir. So we're, <clears throat> I got on this kick and a little bit of reading about, uh, and I, I talk to guys every week, coach guys, and I'm back in the journey pool again, uh, journey to wholeness thing. And um, so I talk to a lot of guys every week, um, virtual, phone, in person. And one of the things that's been popping up recently is the, the accountability thing. So we took last week, the last podcast, and talked a little bit about accountability and redefined it. It's not just, It's not just having somebody in your life to point out all the negative. It's somebody that walks alongside of you. It helps you with course confirmation and course conformation, confirm and conform, and then correct. And then one of the things we don't do as guys is celebrate the wins. And I've started celebrating the wins with the teams I lead now. Mm -hmm. It's made a complete total difference. You would think it's like, uh, obviously, Captain Captain Obvious, you should have – been doing that all along but yeah. when you celebrate something it becomes ingrained in you and i think what are the things we should celebrate 
It, with accountability? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. When you when you when you're walking with somebody, you know their struggles and you know the trips and falls and you know how to pick them up and dust them off. But but when you get to a place where you know you stumble on certain terrain and they don't stumble, then you celebrate that. Because in that you become stronger. Small victories, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. little small things. There are very rarely large victories in life. There are all they are all wins and skirmishes. The war, a war is made up of skirmishes, small or minor engagements. Yeah. And then battles. And when we understand that and we're walking alongside, when you celebrate things and you celebrate a victory over something that held you back before, and now you're able to celebrate, celebration brings empowerment. Not only does it bring empowerment, but it brings uh, insight and it brings uh, motivation and encouragement to be more disciplined. So that when I come up on that thing again, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, I've already beat, I've, I've done that. Like I've, I've beat you. Mm. I'm done with you. Mm-hmm. And the enemy is, uh, he's really good at wash and repeat. Uh, one of our, one of our friends, Jermaine uh, Nunn says, he says, the devil has one suit, but five ties. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. 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 And it's true. Like he will come to you with, um, he'll find your weaknesses and your vices and create stumble, stumbling patterns for you. He'll mm-hmm. create a pattern in your life for you to stumble. And when, when you have somebody that walks with and alongside and understands you and you understand them and you've, you become, you join the cadre thing here, um, you've done that because you know that you've got to walk with somebody. Then you understand that this guy who walks with me, uh, he's not only walking with me, but he's walking for me. He's walking. We're engaged in this battle together. Yeah. So let's quickly define cadre then. Cadre is a nucleus of trained personnel around which a larger organization can be built. So people around you that can build you up. So together you can be a quote, large organization. You, you become one. And then it, it's a tightly knit group of zealots. And this is the part I like the tightly, tight, tightly knit group of zealots who are active in advancing the interest or interests of a revolutionary party. Jesus was a revolutionary. Yeah. So yeah, if you sure. think you're anything less than a revolutionary, you are only tricking yourself. And it's not a treat. I'll yeah, just say that. In this in, in society today, to do to live like Jesus is very not normal. You know, and and I and you think, well, isn't isn't being a good person normal? Mm. I'd love to say I'd love to say it was. I'd love to say if you were uh you'd be ostracized from the group if you weren't treating people with patience and love mm-hmm. and kindness. But no, that's not a norm nowadays. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. norm is to is entitlement. The norm mm-hmm. is uh, uh, aggressive behavior. The norm mm-hmm. is, let me tell you what I think, not what the truth might be. If you go to entitlement, entitlement is the empowerment for me to say, do, and believe whatever I want and ostracize and and disconnect from people who don't believe the same. Mm-hmm. That That's immature and childish, but it's also the exact same that uh, the enemy did with the Father in heaven. I will ascend higher than you. I will. You know, there's nothing new under the sun, man. There's nothing. Any Anything you see has already been done. It's already been. Yeah. It's it's out there. And one of the ways to figure out the, the tricks of the enemy is just study a little bit of history, biblical history. Just read. It's like he does nothing new. He's not creative. He's, he's, pa- he's patient. He's relegated to a certain margin, the enemy. And he's he is here... Here's why I believe he is a supernatural being, but here's why I believe the enemy is so good at human nature and he's so good. Is he just been around a long time? Yeah. Well, and he's watched, he's watched. His his curse was to be thrown down to earth to scour the land looking for people to devour. Mm-hmm. That was his curse. Yeah. So he's been here. I mean, you, we think of the creation story and I've said this on this podcast too. The creation stories, uh, it, it, it starts with the, with the, with a serpent already in the garden, mm-hmm. and he's been there. Mm-hmm. And he so we go as far back as humanity's birth. 
the enemy was already, he was already cursed to this land. Mm-hmm. He knows the terrain. He knows the turf. He knew us. He knew us when there was just one of us and then two of us. And he saw the world populate. He saw the world's, he, he, what I'm saying is this isn't his first rodeo. He's been here before. He's incredibly patient. I yeah. found in my experience, I mean, uh, he, he's not, uh, what's the word I want to say? He's not uberly powerful. But he's patient. He knows yep. he he he. In my life, the enemy wants to see it, wants me to just hang myself, right? And he's going to give me every opportunity to hang myself. Have you ever seen a guy who plays chess on four levels? Yes, okay. I. I it, so on a weird side note, we've never talked about this it's before. That. But I was uh, I played chess in in high school competitively. I no, it was a, it was a, I could see that I, it's a sport. It is I, a sport. If you if you don't think chess is a sport. Get out of here right now. Yeah, like, like, it is. It my, is a- my cousin used to play um, years ago. He was trying to teach me, and I was just like five or six years. It's like, no, man, I want to go play with cars. But but anyway, with that, yes, I yeah, have watched, I've watched chess matches where right. it is on the internet, of course, because my, my YouTube uh, viewing history is really, I think that. Yeah, if somebody like, were to look at your YouTube viewing history, they say, that is not the guy that sits in the in the video editing office. A lot that of is motorcycles, sports, uh, European sports, you and love chess. You. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, how come the dude watched a, a, a thirteen and a half second chess match? I don't know because it was amazing. There's some pretty good movies about that too. Um, anyway, um, so to this thing, to the enemy tearing his advances and his strategy. Uh, when we're walking alongside with another brother, uh, we, when we celebrate, we empower each other, but we empower those who are watching us because somebody's always watching you and they're always watching the people that's around you. Always, always. You, if The moment you think you're not being watched is the moment you will be seen and found out. doesn't mean you're doing anything bad, but it just means you'll be found out. You'll be seen for who you are. But to this whole thing of walking with you, Jesus, first off, the Father in heaven said it's not good for man to be alone, meaning you need a wife. Then then I've taken that to an, another place, and Paul reflects the concept and idea in all of his writings, but it's not good for man to be alone outside of his family. I sat with, I, I've sat with guys in the last two weeks who said they have no man in their life. They go to work, they have their family, but there's no exchange or engagement yeah. outside. That's not, that's not weird. That's, that's like, that's not like a weird statement. You, what, I can't hear that and be like, well, that guy's just, no, it's, that's unusual. No, that's, that's, that's very normal. That's trending. And it's not a good normal. And it's common and it's going to destroy men. Yes. It will destroy men. So Jesus said, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them, teach these new disciples to do what? To obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. End of the age meant until, until the end of all that exists and he returns and culminates history. So so what I'm saying here is we we get stuck on this discipleship concept of of witnessing, evangelizing and discipling. But but the most powerful and I w- I would never underestimate this, underpropagate it or back down or back up on it. These next three statements when we as men disciple one another, three things happen. And when I say disciple, I'm talking about cadre. We're sold out to the mission. We're sold out to be like Jesus, to imitate, emulate, and impersonate Jesus everywhere. To do what he did, to say what he said, and to love like he loved. Here are three, here are three things that absolutely are the highest and greatest form of discipleship in our culture. First is changed men change each other, changed into the image of Christ. Change men change their families, and last, change men change their cultures. So let's talk about. Uh, actually, let's not talk about. It. Let's just let me just say out loud 
the the great commission, the, the scripture uh, in Matthew that you that we just read, uh, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this: I am with you always, even to the end of age. That I don't think people. Uh, I don't think people that attend Life Church realize how much our church, this is the base principle of our church. So much so that uh, it has been and will continue as long as I have any affiliation with this family. Uh, it, it is this scripture that starts our five-minute countdown every single Sunday. Mm-hmm. Now, I yeah. know a lot of people don't see that yeah. because they're and they not- should pay attention because that scripture sets the last Sunday, if you're not in the building... I will tell you, you missed probably the best service I've been in in 10 years in this church. Wow. In 10 years. And it all, there was on the downbeat at 4.59 on the downbeat, boom. Yeah, it just set the pace. This passage set the pace. There's two things happening here. Go tell, go make. Yeah. Go tell, go make. Go tell, go make. I mean, so... I say I say because I I know that not a lot of people are in the actual auditorium at five o'clock. They usually trickle in about two two thirty left on the countdown. Yeah, yeah, maybe a minute fifteen left in the or countdown. Some of them twenty minutes after. Like whatever. Come on, y'all. I remember. I remember before I was on staff. This was now years ago. Uh, I was a volunteer. I came to this church and became an, a volunteer immediately. But I remember that I, I would I'd want to get inside the building on weeks I wasn't serving. And, mm. and I want to check my kids in because, I mean, mm. kids, mm-hmm. at, that, at that time, they were young. So, I mean, they, they, but my kids enjoy church. But I wanted to be there before that first bass drop at five minutes because the video starts, boom. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then that scripture pops up. And that scripture pops up <clears throat> on a white screen. There's it's, no, there's no it, flash. It sets the course of the meeting. It sets the course of it into the, to the base point. I, you know where I sit 90% of the time, sometimes on the front row, uh, if pastor's in town or, um, I just end up up there sometime, but most of the time I sit back in front of the sound booth and here's why the bass in the room, when it hits, (laughs) hits that wall, the sound booth wall and reverberates back out. That's what bass does. It bounces, Mm -hmm. it bounces. When you're sitting in front of that wall and that bass hits the wall and bounces, it goes through you and back back through you, there is a there is a healing sensation that comes to your body. Becky, Pastor Becky will, will tell and talk about this often, but bass, the bass in music is a healing piece of the creation. Mm. It heals you. It's healing. It it will go through. I'm just saying to you that lots of things happen in a service. Lots. It's not just the visual, the auditory. It's not just the feel, the experience, the sensing, and the smelling. There's more that happens. Mm. And when we talk about Great Commission, there's more than just go tell, go make. There's, there is the, the this... This one verse is the description of the will of God for every person's life. It's 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 a definitive de- definition of a calling by default. But we we are we are priest in kingdom. If you're a Christian, you're a priest. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Well, we're the saints. I mean, we're the saints. I mean, Paul writes the, to the saints. He's talking about you and me. And let's be clear: you're not talking about actual. Um, like people that have that what title on this earth right, that they've right. gained through what uh, priesthood, right? They're, everyone once you follow Christ becomes part of the saint category, right? So, so with that, let's be clear that Paul was writing to the Jews, but because we as Gentiles and Gentiles doesn't mean pagan, Gentiles means other nations. Let's be clear um, that we've been grafted in. So we are part of the royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart by God to do his good, good works and, and good will. And we can will. still eat bacon. Well, yeah, they so, can. We can. Yeah. Which so, is good. Win-win. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, on a side note, 
I'm, I like asparagus. And I found well, that's good for you. I, I found don't use too much butter though. I, no, I don't use any we butter. Use a lot of the butter only on butter, ours. the only butter that I use is Kerrygold. It's Irish butter. It's really good. Um, if I use it, but there was this asparagus with Parmesan cheese wrapped in bacon. Mm-hmm. You bake it. Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't. Yeah. You bake it. Yeah, sure. Also, if you can, if if you if you can believe this. I'm I'm a jalapeno jelly guy. Sure, I I, I I don't I I don't dislike a jalapeno jelly or a jalapeno spread. I found, I found, by accident, some bacon jam. Mm. Mm. Well, do you do you think a bacon jam preserves itself longer? I don't I don't because know because of the sheer amount of grease. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There was a study done. This is crazy, but there was a study done that if men, <laughs> I don't know who did this, but it's an actual study. If men could choose to have sex or bacon, oh yeah, they would choose bacon. I don't I, like. I I understand the concept behind. I it. do. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that most guys would agree with that. And I don't know who was included in this study, but I'm just saying bacon is a powerful force in the, in the fact man that world. you'd even want to you'd even want to set a basis of a study on it. Right, lets you know that it's a formidable opponent. Right, it is formidable <laughs> opponent. And there's also there's also the bacon is taking over the world. Anyway, we got sidetracked. Yeah. So, so uh, <clears throat> anyway, on my sidebar from before the sidetrack was that this scripture, if uh, if you've a never really paid much thought to it and attend Life Church, um, we as as uh, Jesus people here at Life Church, this scripture is a good uh, representation of our beliefs and culture. So I just want to point out it, its importance because I, I know some people I know some people that are listening aren't avid Bible readers or they're beginning Bible readers. This one is one that read it, read it again, read the idea behind it, read. Uh, what God intended when he spoke it. This one's important. Read this one. Here's the way, here's the way this is. And I agree with you. Here's the way this is. The scripture says it uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Mm-hmm. And he created all things and all things were created for him and by him. So Jesus existed before all things. Mm-hmm. Then he, then he entered in from eternity. He entered into time into the form of a human, a man. Mm-hmm. Then he lived a sinless life, ministered to people all of his life, but formally for three and a half years. And then he was crucified, buried on the third day, buried and rose again on the third day. And this is the last thing he said to the people before he left. I'm, I'm leaving. This is, this is what I want you to do. That being said is he created this thread from, from before everything to last last words and he said i in the in the upper room he said i won't have this meal with you again until we're together in my father's house so there's this thread of look have you ever have you ever seen somebody say like somebody has just one job like you're in a wedding and you have just one job you got and shit, all man. all you got to do is walk down the aisle and stand on stage right that's all you that's all that's all you have house to do house left stage right house left stage right turn spin smile that's all you have to do and i've seen people more often than not do the opposite or mess it up some way it's like jesus was saying this is all you have to do this is the job this is it you got enough in this world to deal with. Let's get back to the man thing. If I were to ask you, what do you think the number one cause of crash for men is? What would you say? Overwork. Overwork? Mm-hmm. Give me overwork on the board. I I think in, in my research, I think in the guys that I've talked to, and my own personal experience and reading that I've looked at and psychological psychological articles from reputable psychology sources. One of the top three, if not the most devastating 
is loneliness. And loneliness is 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 seen in men who are lone wolves. Lone wolves are funny because because wolves like I think that yeah. somewhere along the last thirty years, being a lone wolf has become like oh you're cool like that's you want to aspire to be a lone wolf, but like lone wolves like if you were an actual lone wolf like if you were a wolf and you were without a pack you would be the in in the wolf world you are uh you're like the lowest being in the mm-hmm. wolf wolves mm-hmm. wolves are designed as pack animals like dogs mm-hmm. men are pack animals men are too yeah so, men so are like, pack animals it's weird because nature would have you think that if you're a lone wolf it's it's because you don't serve a purpose in a pack yeah and it's and that's not a wolf doesn't want to be without its pack. I would say that there are times in this in this life that for periodic for periodic spaces in our lives that that we may need to be lone wolves. Like you may need to disconnect and reform. Uh, Jesus was never a lone wolf, but he. He took time away from the disciples. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's not lone wolf. That's not being a lone wolf. Right. Here's what a lone wolf is. A lone wolf is one who prefers to go without the company or assistance of another. That's a lone wolf. A wolf that is not part of a pack. Mm-hmm. A person who avoids the company of others. A loner. That's a lone wolf. And I'm telling you that guys tend to, tend to do that when they are depressed anxious, feel disconnected, or feel unworthy. I can't off the top of my head think of an a incredibly successful man that was a lone wolf. That, it, I, I, don't think it, I don't think you can be. I don't, CEOs like, like the, the, the Steve Jobs of the world, they were not lone wolves. They, had, they surrounded themselves with very capable human beings. Bill Gates is another. Yeah, very wow. capable human beings surrounded them. Yeah. yeah, Abraham Lincoln is another. He's an interesting guy. Because Abraham Lincoln invited people to be in his cabinet that were his arch rivals, his enemies, political enemies. And he said, if I keep them close, I can watch them and protect myself. Yeah. So he was not a lone wolf. He just, he just by virtue of his call and position, he had to, he had to incorporate people around him. So I, I don't know where, <clears throat> where and when we as a society have signed up that being a lone wolf is like, your 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 BA your your super cool yeah like because no. no no in our history I can't I can't think of a singular successful empowered man that was a lone wolf. When I sit and look in a man's eye that I'm coaching or or mentoring, and I ask him, who are the men in your life that speak into your life in a positive way, and they say I don't have any, then I know exactly where to go with them. Yeah, because it's either it's either they're disconnected because of their identity, they're lonely, they're anxious, or they're depressed. And when part of part of understanding that is, and and being a lone wolf is a protectionary thing. I was a lone wolf for many years because I chose to be. Were you successful? No, I was. Were you successful in your marriage? <laughs> Were you successful in negative your fathering? Were you successful ne- in business? None, not at all. Not at all. So so what I'm getting at for me. Out of woundedness, I became a lone wolf, but I did it as I look back now, not when I'm, well, not in the middle of it, but as I look back, uh, it, it was an issue of being selfish for me. I'm, I'm saying for me. Yeah. Because I chose to protect myself out of brokenness and to separate myself from others because I just didn't have it in me to do it, but as you look back, it's really like it's sort of selfish to do that because you've got all these responsibilities around you. But if you're broken or if you're anxious or if you're depressed or if you're unable to have relationships with people for whatever reason, then you need somebody. It it screams loudly that you need somebody around you to help and call you out of that loneliness, out of that cave dwelling mentality. So I read an article, I read an article I want to talk about, and that article is, it's from uh, Psychology Central or Psych Central. It's a really interesting article, but it's five reasons men are so devastatingly lonely. All right. So this is, so we're going to end on a high note. 
No, we're very hot. Incredibly hot. No. Like, Five reasons why you as the listener are lonely. Yeah, yeah well. Here we go. Now we're gonna yeah, we're gonna talk about that. But when we wrap up, we're gonna give five steps or five individual five individual ways that we can actually lean into and break the lone wolf mentality in our lives. All right, let's go. Number one. Number one is Five reasons devastatingly lonely. Men are devastatingly lonely. Number one, fear of appearing weak. Men fear appearing weak. Yeah, I think that that's biologically in us. It's biologically. It's culturally. We're taught from kids. Don't cry. Be tough. Mm -hmm. Be a man. Don't show your emotions. And what do women, what's the number one thing women cry for? No, not whine for. Cry cry out for in a relationship with their husband. Mm. Be vulnerable. Yeah. Show emotion. Let me see who you really are. That. Well, like early civilization, this was this or like early, early civilization. Like uh, science would have you believe that the, the only the strong would reproduce. So uh, to, as a survivor's mentality, like we would need to be strong hunters. We would need to be uh, family providers mm-hmm. and and so let's take that route that if that was scientifically how that how that was and and you can believe or not believe i i personally don't believe that that i i believe that man from the dawn of age was verbal i think the man from the dawn of age was civil uh but I, a lot of science says you believe that there are cavemen style mm-hmm. cavemen yeah um that were uh, mm, uh i don't know with a i can't i i don't know if i believe that for Hey, I don't know if I believe that this world has been around for longer than 12,000 years, mm-hmm. but B, that there was a larynx and a tongue and that it took us what they say, like a hundred, like a, a, a lot of millions of years in order to fill sentences. I don't mm-hmm. know if I take that, if I believe that, but uh, a lot of science would have you believe that uh, that competitiveness to be, uh, um, uh, to not show weakness was a, a, a biological knee-jerk reaction because if we did show weakness, our bloodline would have worn, right. would have died. Right, and there's a couple of radical movements that we don't have to look too far back in history that wanted to eradicate weakness. So there's this there's this right. cultural, political uh, push for men to be these these super warriors, and I, I believe Jesus was a super warrior. But he also he he was he was clear about who he was and he understood it. But he was also he set the pace for having people around you. Number two, number two is men don't talk about their feelings. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why or why that would have been the case. In in I don't know. Because well, I, I think that men talking about their feelings is. is has nowadays become more pop, more and more popular, at least in my in my lifetime. It's become popular, but there's a little or no honesty fused with vulnerability. There's yeah. this there's this surface talk, this this big dog. When you get in a room of guys who become they let the guard down and they become vulnerable and they tell the truth about themselves, mm-hmm. yeah. then there's an empowerment that enters in and yeah. you can actually see it in their eyes and in their facial expression. Like I've just empowered myself to heal because I have chosen to be vulnerable and to be honest about what's going on in my life. Yeah. I don't, what do you, when do you think that that, that turned the corner was 1700s, 1800s, the extreme don't talk about your feelings. Cause when I read the Bible, like <clears throat> the, the disciples were very open about their mm-hmm. feelings. Mm-hmm. And so we have a, we have a precipice of 2000 years ago, men in society were not afraid to talk about their fear. We're not yeah. afraid to talk about their ambitions or um, granted in their pack. But oh. then, but then you, 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 you hear like, and I didn't grow up in the fifties. I wasn't around, but you hear that men have to be men sort of mm-hmm. mentality mm-hmm. that you'd got post world mm-hmm. war two mm-hmm. through the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Like, why? Why do you think that that approach was like, <laughs> Nope, th- well, this, this is definitely going to work out better for us. Well, from, from the peanut gallery of my historical understanding, um, you, you had you had Jesus and the disciples, and then you you drift from thirty four, thirty five, one hundred, three hundred A.D. into what 
evolves into Europe and in other places, and then you enter into the Dark Ages, which the Dark Ages really snuffed out people's identity, especially in the United Kingdom and in what's now known as Ireland and Scotland in that area. So there was a snuffing out of identity. There was a purposeful lack of educating people to understand, for example, at that time in history, uh, the church in that time was a group of, of priests who only read the scripture in Latin. So there was, there was a lack of education, lack of understanding. So when you snuff out the identity of who a man really is, then culture itself begins to fall apart. When culture begins to fall apart, it loses its identity. Now, you mentioned World War II, the greatest generation, the greatest generation of men. When you look at men today, and you compare men today to the men of that era, you see a stark, dramatic difference in manhood. Manhood with, you know, I'm going to get an email on this, and I really don't care because it's it's the truth. <clears throat> when When... Back in the 60s, when the women's liberation movement started, there was a deconstructing, big word now these days, a deconstructing of identities of man and of woman and of children. If you ask me, it started before this, but it became prevalent and obvious and visible in the 50s, where 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 men were overbearing and they were and they were overpaid and there were problems but the general identity of a man and the general identity of a woman and the general identity of of children as god intended all began to decay and disintegrate in the garden at the fall before there were even any children on the earth so from that time, the garden, all the way through history, and there were some emph- emphatic things that happened in history whereby whereby the, the identities of people were squelched and pushed down, and then there was a rebellion, and people fought, and out of rebellion, people became this or that, or they became warriors, or they became other things. So as you move down the line and you look at this, then in the 50s, this thing, this thing morphed, and we became... We became some. We became a, a society that tried to squelch the other's identity, like men tried to squelch women, and we, women rose up and tried to squelch men. And now we have this, this unisex, this we don't know who we are. Like, come on, dude, really? Are you kidding me? And we've got to figure out. We've got to go back and look. Not, not so much at history as to how we're at the rodeo. We might as well go ahead and ride the bull. It doesn't matter how we got to the rodeo. We're here. Let's ride the bull. But how do we ride the bull? The bull is that who am I as a man who has God called me to be and what am I today? How am I responding to my life, my culture, my responsibilities as a man of Jesus, a man of God? That's the question. And and as a person that like of all the classes I've had in school, uh, growing up in in grade school, um, history and language arts were were my favorite. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I'm I think I'm fairly fairly uh, um, talented with my words. I think that I'm I I understand the English language very well. Um, but history, uh, what I like about history is because if you read it um, and learn it and study it, not necessarily like a like a memorizational piece, uh, but more like you're hearing. A, a movie that happened in real life. I always took it like that. Like, I yeah. was, like it's the most crazy and it literally is the most crazy movie you can imagine if you listen to history and be like, that really happened, huh? Mm. Um, so I can understand the pendulum swings. Like, like it, the fifties were an extreme version. Like you were saying mm-hmm. of, of identity of what uh, I think it, it was, it, it was defining. It was coming off the coattails of probably two decades of maybe the worst in modern civilization. Mm-hmm. I, I, sure. I can't imagine Absolutely. two decades that were even, that were no. 
even remotely close, but you know, one might have an opinion one way or the next. So they're, they're coming off these tumultuous, I mean, I actually think, but the first 40 years of the 1900s was... it's It was a miserable period in history. In the United States. Yeah. Especially I mean, when you caveat when you caveat World War One, Yeah. With I, the Great Depression. I mean, World and War... And then World War Two, Like, right after it. Like, like that is just an... Aw, like, a, I didn't grow up... Like, I, I grew up... I was born in 1982. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s. But mm-hmm. reading back and hearing testimony and watching pieces, documentary pieces on the first 50 years of the 1900s mm-hmm. like it sounds like a it sounds crazy okay so, so i understand the pendulum swings then and it redefines what what modern day men would look like and then because that pendulum swung so far one side it had to go the other way right and then that's where you get uh right the 60s right the 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 what they, what they call the hippie movement. The hippie movement, you know, anti-war. Can, all of that makes sense because right. when a pendulum swings one way, like a clock, it's going to go the other. Okay. And so then you see you see the the peace-loving uh, drug, sex, and rock and roll. Right. You know, I can understand why why it did that just as a, as a person that has studied psychology, as a person that has studied the macro version of humanity. You know, that, that makes sense. Well- Part of the part of the history thing, I, if you take a, a senior uh, high school senior's history book today, and you compare it to my high school senior history book, you will see a huge difference, because history has been rewritten and changed since I've been in high school. I've seen it, I've watched it, I've read about it, and it has been categorically changed to construct. A culture, just like it was in my day and in your day, it, it, history was rewritten to change the way a culture views itself. Yep. So, and that's a fact. That's not. That's not no, like it's, a. It's, that's, it's a fa- ask. Ask people. That's who not are, a tinfoil hat type no, of sir. idea. It is that's, not. No, it is the truth. That's why when we say changed men change each other, they change their families and they change the cultures in which they live. It's no joke. It's the real deal. Number three, many aren't comfortable being vulnerable. Reasons why men are so devastatingly lonely, they're not comfortable in being lo- and vulnerable. Well, and that, and what, when you're not used to something, obviously the first few times you do it, you're going to be uncomfortable. Sure. Doing it. When, when I, I work out, so like when I get into running seasons, like when I run a lot and then take a couple of weeks off and then run again, mm-hmm. I'll tell you my, my mile time isn't fast when I start back up. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm just not used to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my bones react differently on the first few runs. If you feel like when you're, when you start running again, you're like, Oh, my, my joints have felt better. I can really push it. Mm-hmm. But actually your bones are like, wait a minute, we're just starting to get better. Mm-hmm. Now you're beating this up again. Right. They don't know how to take it. You know? So the, you take the approach of working out or you take the approach of, of anything brand new, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Even though, even in the, even for the first quarter mile, you're like, no, I feel great. I can, I could run all day. Uh, your body's saying, thinking the other thing, your body's like, Ooh, okay. Brace myself, brace myself. Mm. And you have to build up an endurance to run that far. Right. You have to build up an endurance. Your, your legs have to understand what it feels like to get beaten up for 20 minutes a day. Mm. And so, the soreness goes away after you after you run for a couple of weeks. Then then you're not sore at the end of it. Then your your lungs aren't burning as much. And, and if you're a guy like me, in order to actually get the workout, then you have to actually increase the amount of time you do it or the speed you do it in mm-hmm. because that's just how our bodies work. Same thing with this. If you're not used to being vulnerable, it's going to feel super. It's weird a mu- in the beginning. it is a muscle. Exactly what you said. And it, there is power in vulnerability. I've I've it it's. It, it's too much to talk about now, but there's power in it. You, if it's it's like the guy in the movie, the Italian Job. Yeah, great movie. They got the they got the gold. The guys at the made at, me want to buy a Mini Cooper. Yeah, pick me too. And <laughs> and uh, the guys at the luggage luggage claim, and he's he's he calculates how much gold they got, and he's yeah. It's uh, you should get on the Holy Spirit train. I got the Holy Spirit. You should get on the Holy Spirit train. You should try it sometime. It's like. It's like get on the train of vulnerability, but but I charge you and challenge you to only do it with trusted men. Hmm? Not yeah. everybody. You have to be. You have to be. Uh, you definitely have to vet out people that. No doubt that. 
because people, I mean, humanity, if you put your trust in to people too often, mm-hmm. they will let you down. Though it's a good learning lesson, they will let well, you down. Yeah. We probably need to talk about how to do that in some other podcast. Number four, uh, Devin's devastatingly lonely men characteristics, hyper-masculine assertiveness. Not everybody's born to be an alpha. Yeah. But we, as a man, we have to be assertive and we got to learn how to do it without being caustic and mean. Yep. Like Jesus was an alpha dog. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. The disciples. I can't think of one disciple that was not an alpha dog. Except there might have been a couple like, I don't know. But eventually they all were alphas. Yeah. So I don't mean that you have to be a guy that walks around, goes to the gym, flexes and muscular. It That's not an alpha dog. An alpha dog, It it, it is in the culture, but. In the kingdom, an alpha a guy is a guy who emulates and imitates Jesus' life. Yeah, an alpha That's dog. In, in my experience, uh, strong alphas are usually uh, they don't ask for it. You know, they have a natural leadership quality that they don't um, they don't ask to be a leader. You know, they just are. Uh, when, yeah. when, when it's overexerted, like like you said, when you're flexing a lot, mm-hmm. it usually shows your lack of strength. Yeah. I know I've had the privilege of working with some special forces, uh, Delta, a uh, couple of SEALs, some some Marines as well. Uh, from the from the perspective of friendship, coach, mentor, spiritual guide, spiritual leader, and all of the guys that I know who are are in that category are some of the most humble guys. Humble, yeah. They're the they're meek, teachable. They're very meek and meekness is not being a doormat, but it's knowing that I have the power to crush you mm-hmm. and take your life. Usually the ones but, with, with the biggest guns rarely have to show them. They rarely show them and they never have to identify themselves as Delta or they never do. I've, I've never met a Delta guy or a SEAL or a Marine uh, special ops person who has ever talked about what they did or what their rank was? Never. Yeah. yeah. Never. Uh, Never. I, I have some friends that that I'm of the generation that I was 18 uh, when 9/11 happened. So my I'm of the generation that my my age group went to war right when we were 18. A lot of my friends went to war. Um, I couldn't because I wasn't medically cleared. But if I if I was medically cleared, I would have been there too. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, the, the a common thread though too is that the, the some my friends would come home and almost no one would talk about what they've done right. because of shame, guilt of of the of PTSD. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's this. But you, the other half of the people that don't that don't necessarily exhibit PTSD, they they still don't talk as in glorifying or bragging. Right. You, I would have to physically ask what they're, right. how far did you, like what you, and like you said, total me. Very like, evasive. Well, I was, yeah, this, yeah, like, yeah. Is it, is, and that's pretty good. So like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it was pretty they, good. They are very evasive because they don't draw attention to themselves because they know, they know that it's a God-given gift to be a warrior. Mm. Number five is, and this is probably the, the, the killer one is why men are devastatingly lonely. Number five. And again, this article was taken from uh from psych central um and this is a killer for me there are few bonding opportunities i think we've done a pretty good job with our group to create bonding opportunities and out of that have spawned other bonding opportunities let's jump real quick to the wrap up let's wrap it up mm-hmm. and let's talk about the five things that we can do as men to offset loneliness and to be a part of a cadre, a well-trained group of zealots who are on the same mission in life. Number one, we have to empower ourselves by exposing our weakness. Yeah. If, if you're, if you're going to uh, do modifications to your home, you need to know where the frame is weak. You need to know what is where your weak points are so you can build up, not build around Mm. so you can fix and not pretend it doesn't exist. Right. Because if you, if you remodel an entire home, but have a, 
a very bad foundation on the right wall, mm-hmm. you could put hundreds of thousands of dollars in this to ultimately have to just take the whole house down. Right, right. I think one of the things that we have to understand is the, the paradox of we empower ourselves by exposing our weakness, but we expose our weakness to trusted brothers in mm-hmm. the faith. The second thing is this, we engage in sharing our feelings with trusted men. Yeah. We engage in sharing our feelings We're, and are our, our legit like, this is really what's going on right now. I try to avoid the, the uh, tea kettle uh, mentality of wait until I start boiling and then start making a loud, a loud whistle. I just let steam out throughout the entire thing and then I never boil over. That's good. That's really good, actually. It's good. Um, third, embrace the power of vulnerability. If I'm vulnerable by by opening, and vulnerability simply is this, is that I open my life for inspection and partnership with another man to help me become more like Jesus. I, I allow I allow someone else in. I don't, I don't withhold. Uh, and when we talk about intimacy with one man and another, it's it's us sharing our heart, our life, and our mind and our experience with our struggles and our victories, becoming and walking with Jesus. I like that. Fourth thing, we exercise being properly assertive. You know, there are some guys that are insecure. Uh, I don't even call them alpha dogs. I wouldn't give them that that <laughs> that uh, privilege to be called that. Uh, but they're just obnoxious, weak, immature people, mm-hmm. insecure people. Uh, and in the animal kingdom, those would be lone wolves because the pack would be like, "No, nah, you can get yeah, out of here. Yeah, you contribute nothing to the pack, and you weigh us down. You, yeah. you actually, you being in the pack make the pack weak. Yeah, and that's how a lone wolf." In the in the in nature works. Yeah. Like if, if there is one that weakens it and it's not an elder, like elders are then treated like wolves and I I, I studied this my, my my dog of seven oh gosh, nineteen years. Um he he when he when it was time for him to pass, he walked away from the pack. He went and he he like went into the woods. And I was crushed because I couldn't find I couldn't find my dog. You know, this is my childhood dog. I mean, this is, I search weeks, man, every day, weeks. And I stumbled upon this this uh, research about pack animals mm. when they realize that they are a detriment to the group. Most pack animals will leave the pack mm-hmm. because their eminent death, that brings the entire pack at risk. Mm. So it's not an unusual behavior for a dog or a pack animal that towards the end of their life cycle, they abandon the pack. Yeah. Now, at, how this is uh, exercise being properly assertive. There are other times where packs shimmy away and say, get out of here. And those are true lone wolves. It's not a, it's not a badge of honor. Mm. It's you actually contribute nothing to the pack. Your being in our pack is a detriment to our pack. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. And so I, I too, I, under, when people are lone wolf, when they're, when they have nothing to bring of quality or, uh, uh, quantity to the pack they serve no purpose those are they're exactly what you're saying those are lone wolves and that is not a badge of honor no it's not and and our duty as men who are walking or at least understand the process of healing and walking through it when we see these guys these lone wolves or these these obnoxious hyenas i call them uh who make a lot of noise and and try to kill the weak uh are very insecure hurt and broken men it's our duty to challenge them and to love them. But if they don't, if they're not ready for that, then, then they need to, they need to fall all the way to the bottom and hit it before they get help. And, and it, you can't help. Somebody and your pack work. is your pack of people. It's treated as a pack of, of wolves. If there is one that you're trying to take into the pack, you're seeing if they can conform, if they can uh, adhere, if they can assimilate to your pack, but if they can't, you got to get them out of there right? because your whole pack is worth more as a packed unit than the one. Right. And last is to expose yourself to bonding opportunities. And we, as men, we tend, tend to bond. We seek out bonding 
but much of the time it's the wrong sort or type of bonding. When I'm talking about bonding opportunities, I'm talking about with like-minded men who are pursuing a life with Jesus and who want to imitate and emulate and be like him in all manner of living. If you've ever been around me in, in a, in a group mentality in a group setting, um, I have, I have undoubtedly brought this up that us as Jesus people, we were, it's, it's like where we've survived a shipwreck, right? When we start living life together, when we start talking and, and, and about our hopes, our dreams, our fears, uh, what irritates us, what we desire, um, in our group settings, my life group settings, um, by the end of the group or even in short order, it's, it's as if we're on the dock rejoicing from a shipwreck yep. because we have, we have lived and we, it's a, it's a, the idea of rejoicing from a shipwreck, because I mean, you can imagine what a sh- being a shipwreck is. And if you've made it to shore, the survivors are rejoicing like, Oh, we've all been through something. We're all been through something together. Yeah. Right. So those opportunities put you in the shipwreck. So when you get to shore, when you get to healthy ground, safe ground, then you've now have a pack of comrades. It's, uh, I liken this to military people. Uh, and they will say that when you share sweat, adrenaline and blood together, there's a bond. Yeah. There's a sacred bond. Mm-hmm. When men become vulnerable with each other and see that your life is really not that much different than mine. And our challenges are mm-hmm. very similar, very much the same then there's this spiritual sweat and adrenaline that we begin to share. And it's like, okay, so now this is a guy that, that I can walk with. This is a guy that I can emulate Jesus with. And he's not going to correct me to hurt me. He's going to correct me to help me confirm and conform to God's will and God's word. Yeah. When I, when I stopped the mentality that I was a unique case study and started with the idea that I'm just like everybody else, that's when my best and biggest growth started happening. When I was living through life thinking, woe is me, uh, you, you don't know how hard my life is. If you did, you'd understand. When I stopped living like I was the, 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 the uh, unique person in the scenario and started treating myself like, 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 the, like an example, like everyone has, mm-hmm. then that's when my life got better. Here's what's interesting about being wounded does in misunderstanding that idea and concept is that everything that we need to know about life didn't happen in kindergarten. It happened in the garden. And the story is that when Satan himself said um, that I will ascend higher, there's that nature in sin and sin is in our nature that we find some way or another to ascend above others. Yeah, when you start yeah, treating, um, when you start treating yourself not as uh, not as the unique case study, but as just the normal, I promise you, you're gonna. Yeah, what you need to understand, and what I learned the hard way, and what you've learned the hard way, Keith, is that all ground is level at the cross, and there is no office at the cross except one, and that is the king. I like it. I like it. That's a good way to wrap this show up. Hey, we're on week two of this series. What do we have for next week? Next week is again again a continuation. And we're gonna we're gonna dive into some very specific things on how to not only be part of a cadre, but to identify one and, and even start your own. Yeah. How to how to do that. I, I think a lot of people listening here that last portion, you have the ability to start a yes. cadre. I yes. started a cadre. Yeah. And if you would have known me three years ago, I'm the yeah. least likely candidate yeah. to have started a cadre. And now the cadre at Life Church is, it's it spawned, big. It spawned several. It's big and it's strong and it's healthy. And uh, again, I, I wouldn't have thought of myself as being that person to have been the catalyst to start it. Yeah. But God. But God. But God. So, uh, hey, if, if, if you haven't yet, uh, in order to... Uh, to be reminded, notified that we are dropping new episodes, subscribe to uh, the podcast, and you can do that in your podcast player. Subscribe to it. That way you you get the uh, notification, you get the information that we have dropped a new episode. Because we like to do it every week, but sometimes, uh, you know, 
it just doesn't work out that way. So subscribe to the podcast. When you subscribe to the podcast, then you won't miss an episode. Pastor Barry, this is this has been a good episode. Yeah, good series. Yeah, it's it's good, and I think we're gonna we're gonna make an impact. Cool. So we can't wait to uh, for you to join us next week. 